listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. An area of great confusion around this practice, as I see it, is there's a tendency for people to think that a certain way is the right way. That a certain method is the right method. That uh, a certain approach is the right approach. And as long as we are in this space, we can fall into a significant trap for our mind. A significant detour can occur. And it doesn't mean that all ways are correct. This is really important. It doesn't mean that all ways are correct correct way to, if you will, approach spirituality or approach a deepening of, of transformation or, you know, it just mean that, it means that there isn't any way that's completely wrong. <clears throat> so, what any particular path up the mountain of spirit shows us, if we follow it deeply enough, if we follow it carefully enough, if we look closely enough at what the terrain is showing us, it's that as long as we allow for ourselves to meet whatever situation arises in its totality, we're ascending. As long as whatever shows itself on this pathway, whatever shows itself on this pathway, we endeavor to meet completely, to open ourselves completely to what it is, we're ascending the mountain of spirit. And so I'm inviting you to do just that. I'm inviting you to meet whatever is going on with your total presence. Drop ideas, drop thoughts, drop feelings, drop addictions to feelings and thoughts. Just stop. This isn't about an intellectual understanding. It's largely about experiential breakthroughs that point us to the place that's beyond understanding, beyond right or wrong, beyond black and white. Instead, it's inclusive of everything that's between black and white. And that panoply, that, that spread of color enriches everything, everything. And when we can do that for ourselves, when we can start really recognizing our ideas of what, let's just say, enlightenment is or is not, we can kind of let those go. When we can start 
dropping these these little dialogues that our egos have with us, which is, you know, this shouldn't be happening to me, or I should have more of this, or this isn't right, or this is unjust, I am not being treated fairly. I, you know, when those dialogues, when we can actually watch them and see them as dance steps that the ego is going, going for, that ability to observe them is our freedom from the actual addiction to the answers that come from those, those uh, questions and those prompts. Instead of this shouldn't be happening to me, this is happening to me. That's truth. That's different than this shouldn't be happening. That, that's, that's an avoidance pattern that carries us into a tremendous amount of fertile space of pain. However, in that fertile space of pain, we're being offered a chance to meet that pain fully. And if we can do that, we're right back on the horse, so to speak. We're right back on the path. We're ascending once again. So no matter what any of us does, no matter what we are doing, the opportunity is there for us to meet what is fully. That's the path. And there are different flavors and different permutations of that path. They're all kind of pointing us in that space. That's how we ascend. So we go up the mountain. And when we can meet whatever is, when we can start um, letting go of that boundary, the very boundary that gets miffed when this shouldn't be happening to me, or I would like more of that, or the, you know, the very boundary that feels separate, when that starts to give way, we then start recognizing a different view, and that different view can only happen from the summit. So the way we get there, the way, we, the way we ascend is to just stop in this moment. Just stop. Doesn't mean don't get out of bed. Doesn't mean don't, don't ever show up on Monday nights again. Okay, it means just in this moment, shh, quiet. And then in the next moment, quiet. It's as if we are training ourselves to take the TiVo and stop the brain, you know? Just stop the mind. Can click it on again later. But as long as we can stop the mind, there is this space that shows up. The panoply of color, metaphorically, shows up. The view from the summit can show itself through us. So I got this great question recently that 
what does an enlightened being or what would an enlightened being uh, how would they move how, how would they how would they behave during the day I thought this was actually a great question and um, my initial response was just like you the only difference might be that uh, the enlightened among us they they never move from the big self they never move from awareness they always tend to situate their entire being from that place they tend to situate and recognize that they are never separate from that big self awareness at the small self it's very useful uh, it helps us and so forth but that it it's partial and that the vastness of the big self the, the immutability and immovability of the big self grounds us in something that's more spacious and they don't move from that just the way none of us in this room ever moves away from our arms during the day it's always there our arms are always there we don't move away from them the enlightened among us don't move away from the big self it's their point of centration even though it has no center and it has no circumference it's just this awareness where there's perpetual and continual rest and so in that way you know as we kind of if we can think of it in those terms like we never move away from our arms you know uh, the small self becomes if you will an appendage it becomes a, an appendage to that which is bigger that which is more expansive and paradoxically that which is bigger and that which is more expansive has never ever not been there it's always been there I was speaking with a, a friend of mine recently and she was talking about you know the, her, she was struggling with this idea you know the higher self and kind of aspiring to be connected with that higher self and so forth and she said it's, it seems kind of like you know it's something you're reaching for and I said exactly it's one of the problems one of the problems with that word or that phrase our higher self is the self that is not here but the self that is somehow something we must reach and grasp and pull ourselves toward when in fact perhaps a more appropriate way to look at it is instead of our higher selves is our deeper self the self that is within the self that has been covered up by the muck of thought and we can get into some really really cool stuff there we can start recognizing that our thoughts in fact are pushing and pulling us all around we identify with certain thoughts and we avoid other thoughts and so forth and the minute we can disidentify with our thinking is the minute that we ascend is the minute we expand into the big self put another way it's the minute we uncover the big self that has always been there it's the moment we recognize our arms are part of us
It's the moment we recognize the small self is merely an appendage of that which is much bigger, much more vast. An organ of the big self. The small self becomes an organ of the big self, a part of it. And what supports all of this is being still. Being itself is still. But when we really, really endeavor to slow down and uncover stillness, we suddenly recognize the source and endpoint of all things that move. And anything that moves is temporary. That means the appendage of the small self is temporary. The appendage of this body we have is temporary because this body moves, this appendage moves. It is in fact temporary. It comes from the stillness of big self and dies back into the stillness of the big self at some point. Hopefully, we get to last for a long, long time. <coughs> um, there are all sorts of great plastic surgeons out there that can help us look like, you know, we're lasting well. Um, uh, there are all sorts of medications. There are all sorts of, you know, things that prolong this experience of small self-being. Um, and that's fine. That's fine. But it can be a house of cards if we attach to it. If we attach to this, this smallness, we can get in trouble. Suffering gets generated. Suffering uh, begins to pervade our experience. Similarly, if we grasp to what we perceive to be the big self, if we grasp onto the big self, oftentimes we become quite fundamental. And in our fundamentalism, we generate suffering. So, any movement, any movement of the body or mind or time, any adherence to body, mind, or time, the movement of any of those things, is unenlightened, is small self clinging. However, if we can recognize our clinging to body, to mind, to time, that is the enlightened mind. That recognition is our awareness. And that recognition frees us from whatever identification we might have with the feelings of the body, desire, okay, with, with uh, an intellectual understanding. And this is a big one for, you know, not only this group, but lots of, lots of people. There somehow is this idea that if we can understand the practice, if we can, you know, uh, uh, really, really s uh, synthesize it and grasp it with our minds, that we'll be okay when in fact, this keeps us in the foothills. This keeps us at the base of the mountain as long as we're always trying to get it, as long as we're trying to understand. When we start ascending, there comes a point when no words do the view any justice. 
you know, we start, as we start out, we, you know, read all these books and we, you know, uh, 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 watch all these films and listen to all these podcasts and, you know, whatever. Um, and we might even fall into this horrible habit of writing stuff down uh, to the point where you actually can create this book or something. Bad idea. Uh, it's a really bad habit. But we, if we can have some type of intellectual understanding, the ego thinks, if we can have an intellectual understanding, then it stabilizes the chaotic universe, and I can be at peace. And this just isn't the case. Intellectual understanding only gets us so far. Intellectual understanding is a core attribute of the mind. And what are we trying to free ourselves from? Identification with the activity of mind. So it's best, or at least it's a shortcut for all of you keeping score at home. It is a shortcut for us to stop the thinking and watch. Watch the thinking. Watch the desire to know. Watch the desire to have some type of visceral experience Watch the desire to become enlightened. Watch, 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 watch. And in the watching, in the watching, we start recognizing that different center of internal gravity. So... When we, when we do this, <clears throat> when we rest in this, this uh, different, different point of centration, when our center of gravity has shifted, we uncover this amazing lack of resistance, an amazing lack of lack, an amazing lack of, of want. Everything is just fine as it is. Some of you may have tasted that. Not to evaluate it, but it tastes pretty good. You know? It's a, it's a place where we kind of go, oh, oh. And nothing has really changed except the way we relate to change. So if we want to look at this change, we can, we can look at change as being movement. Okay, and remember, movement comes out of this big mind space. It comes out of this big self space. Big self itself, capital I, is still constantly. It doesn't change. It doesn't shift. It doesn't move. As such, it is not bound by body, bound by mind, or bound by time. It is eternal. Not because it never ends. I'm going to push you here a little bit. Not because it never ends, but because it's prior to time. It's prior to mind. It's prior to feeling. It's what's before. When any of us says, I am, and you stop there, that's what we're pointing towards. Not I am, and then some categorization, qualification, label, role, color, ethnicity, gender, nationality, tribe. Instead of I am 
something that changes and shifts with the will and whim of body, mind, and time, I am stops. It's still, it doesn't shift. It just is. Awareness just is. And in that space, there's no want. There's no need. There's just grace, joy, love, and ease. So I wanted to touch on just a couple of ways that we avoid this prize <laughs> unknowingly. Uh, we just, uh, we, we, we get off the, um, you know, the conveyor belt that's taking us straight into the heart of that openness uh, by doing a couple of things. The first thing that the mind tends to do, the ego or small self, I, I'll use those three terms interchangeably, mind, ego, and small self. <laughs> the first thing that it does is it evaluates situations and it says there's a problem. It doesn't say, oh, a situation. It says, no, this is a problem. I am pissed off. I am in trouble. I am facing a problem. Okay? There's resistance. There's judgment. There's negativity. There's clinging mixed in with problem. Okay? Instead of, hmm, there's a situation. The mind turns the situation into a problem so that it can maintain job security, so that it can have something to fight against, so that it can rail, so that it can defend, so that it can attack. If it's a situation that is arising, it might be a situation that you could very easily describe as tragic, a situation that you could describe as puzzling, confusing, fraught with danger. It might have all those things involved, but to immediately go into problem is the way we make that which is big in our response to what is small. When there's a problem, we contract. When there's a situation, we can remain open. This takes practice. This is not natural for, for ego. It's totally natural for your big self. So the second thing that can come from there is a problem is I need to change something or even bigger, we need to change something. And it's not that stuff in the world doesn't need our attention, doesn't need our focus. More than anything, it needs our attention and it needs our focus as opposed to our war, our ability to fight, our ability to bring out brigades of egos and focus them in a particular space. When we can open to change, we can respond to it in ways that can lean and tilt the activity of the universe. 
ever so slightly, just like Mother Teresa did. Okay, she didn't do it with brigades. She did it with love, just like Christ, just like Gandhi, just like all the heavy hitters when it comes to changing the course of human history. They didn't do it with small selves. They did it with big self-orientation that appealed to the better angels of everyone's nature. And we have that in us. That capacity is, runs rampant through us. The third space we would look at after there's a problem and we need to change something is we need to understand. If I can just understand, then everything will be fine. If I can just get this, everything will be fine. I don't need to spend much time on this. <laughs> uh, you guys all know that the mind is hell-bent on managing its own evolutionary experience with, uh, with knowing more, even though the big self is beyond its ability to fathom. It's still going to try. But I've got to understand. Instead of understanding, get comfortable with nothing underneath your feet. That's helpful. That shows you that there really isn't a problem. It shows you that nothing really needs to be changed. It shows you a different path towards participating in this space, in this life, on this mountain, on this mountain top, from this mountain top, on the other side of the summit, back in town. Lastly, I would say there's this amazing pressure as we endeavor to get more of something. If we get more, somehow the ego will feel more secure, more knowledge, more teaching, more, big one, more money, more love, more intimacy, more. If we get more, somehow all of this stuff will take care of itself. What a trap this can be. Okay? We don't need anything other than what we have right now in this very moment to awaken. And I know I've said that a trillion times. I'll probably say it a trillion more. Um, and it's okay if it doesn't make any sense. But it's just this idea that we have the capacity to relax with what is being given in this very moment because it's all we need. All we need to awaken is right here, right now. Things don't need to be different. We just have to be willing to face the infinite, face chaos, face our lives with total courage. And the courage is different than the courage needed to attack something or defend. It's a different kind of courage. It's the courage to stand there in the face of the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune as they come at you one by one, multitude by multitude. You stand there facing them and studying the impact, being intimate with the experience of pain, our own or others and not moving, and letting that experience 
that experiential knowing, we let that inform this evolution in us. We let it inform our personal experience so that we can get a sense of something that's deeply impersonal. The boundary between in here and out there slowly starts to fade away. The boundary, indeed, between big self and small self begins to kind of become trivial. And there is space. And that's all this teaching is about. Space. (laughs) So now you can go home and you never have to come back again because you know that it's all just about that one word, space. Creating space. (laughs) Cheers. Big self. I'm just having a little trouble with this idea. Yeah. Big self. Because it's not an idea. Well. Unless. I'm thinking of this as the great ultimate. The great ultimate. Okay. There isn't a big self. Okay. The big self does not exist. Right. To the ego, of course not. And man, it's going to defend that story with everything it's got. Why? Why does the ego want to disallow for any type of big self realization? No, I'm, I, I mean, I don't mean um, that this is an ego resistance thing. Uh, ultimately, there's emptiness. Right. Right? Right. That suggests that the big self is a construct. Oh, it is. Well, Oh, the big self is a total construct. What I'm talking about is emptiness. It's just that talking about emptiness is impossible. Okay. So, we, so what we do is we give it names. I'm good with that. We give. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am glad your ego is feeling like it, it understood and it saw the problem, <laughs> and it realized that it needed a little bit more understanding. And you're there to <laughs> You got it. <laughs> That's why I make the big bucks. I mean, what you're saying is really important, Paul, and, and that is that, that we, we can't talk about this. I mean, we can say some things that point toward it, but there's no way. Emptiness is still a concept, right? Now, there's a, an experiential aha that one gets as one sits still for some Amount of time. It is different for every single soul, okay? But it'll happen, okay? And if it doesn't happen to you while you're on your cushion, it'll happen to you right before you die. You'll go. That would be my style. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's the way things. That's, that's the way things typically go for you. Well, you know what? That'll be just fine. No, that'll be just fine. Uh, I, I would. I would uh, not ad- adhere to that story. I would do your best to let that story go. Um, and you might just surprise. I have only 999,000 hours to go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the idea, I mean, I think there's so much validity to that argument that you, that it's, it's a 10,000 hour process. And for some reason, boom, right at 10,000 hours, some transcendence seems to kind of happen. Like with 
you know, the virtuoso of any particular instrument, it's the 10,000 hour mark where something happens. Are you being literal? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and it was the, in fact, who, who I think it was, uh, I believe it was Marsalis, Wynton Marsalis, who said this to um, a group of young Juilliard students. 10,000 hours. Start soon practicing <laughs> more and more. You know, he has this, this absolute, uh, I'm almost positive it was him, but it, I could be wrong. But I just remember this 10,000 hours, you know. Now, uh, I don't think that's necessarily true for meditation. I think uh, uh, it might take longer. <laughs> it also might take a lot shorter, you know. And for any of us to adhere to, you know, starting to tally, <laughs> man, you're going to stay on that track for at least 10,000 hours because ego is managing the experience, right? It's our ability to watch ego. If we can watch the pouting ego, we are in that spaciousness of awakening. Okay? Now, the more we can exercise that, that awareness, that backward step, that shift, okay, is the more readily available we are to it in our day-to-day, -day. okay? So I, I'm actually of the school that I, I think there's a, there are shortcuts we can take that still allow us to be in the world. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah, yes? It seems like you talk about two different things like they're one thing. There's the emptiness, mm -hmm. which is what we're trying to tap into, and then there's the self that's watching yourself out. And that's not the emptiness. Oh, really? Is it? Hmm. I mean, <laughs> the emptiness is watching me pout. Hmm. What yeah, is... so. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> think about this. Emptiness is what? Empty, right? Mm -hmm. Is it ever not here? Mm, well, no, but does it have... Is it, it watching me? It, is it ever not here? It's always here, right? Yeah. Is it aware? Hard to say, right? Hard, hard to say, right? <laughs> Is awareness ever not here? If you asked me, like if you were up to me, I would say it's not aware. That awareness is not aware. No, that emptiness is not aware. And you would prove... Without me, it's not aware. Without you, you're... Well, okay. But I'm, I, I'm in here. Whatever that means is, is in here. Right. If and I die, that's gone. That it's awareness is... emptiness, but then it's not me anymore. Right. If you die, mm -hmm. awareness no longer exists. No, it does through other people. But it's not my awareness. But it, you're right. Your awareness will die. The possessive, the personal possessive, my. So I'm just trying to get at who's watching me pout. And, I, and I'm trying to point it out to you right now. I don't see how that can be the emptiness. Emptiness, emptiness is always already here. Mm -hmm. We've established that. Okay. Awareness is always already here. Whether it's your awareness or not is not the issue. Mm -hmm. Awareness in general is always already here, mm -hmm. okay? Awareness is not caught by time, and how do we prove that? I'm gonna to try to do this as mathematically as possible. Aware, just like a geometry proof, okay? Um, aware, <laughs> awareness is always already here, okay? It is beyond the constriction of time since it can be aware of time. Not just your awareness, 
but my awareness too, right? And your husband's awareness, right? Everybody's awareness can be aware of time, therefore it's no longer bound by time. It can be aware of, of thought. Mm -hmm. It can be aware of feeling. Therefore, it can be aware of all these things. It is not bound by them ever, mm -hmm. right? It's just aware. Mm -hmm. Now, that awareness, if it never is born and it never dies because it's aware of all things that are born and all things that die, ends where? No, but you're trying, to, you're trying to say that awareness of your experience dies with you. Oh, no, not exactly. What I'm trying to say is when, in few, few, few occasions where I've had a sense of watching myself, right. that still felt very personal. It mm -hmm. didn't feel like something outside of me. It felt like, sorry to use the term, a higher self, like me at my best. You at your best, watching you. Yeah. I'm going to encourage you to stick with that because that's going to take you someplace. Okay. Okay? Play, play with that. Because that thing which is observing, that thing that is aware of my speaking to you right now, that is aware of this room, that awareness in you is not bound by a smallness. It's aware of the small self. It's not bound by the small self. It's aware of the personal it's aware of all things personal. As such, it is totally impersonal. And if it is totally impersonal, it cannot be bound by you. So kind of play with that. Play with that. Awareness of awareness is personal. That's called consciousness. Okay? So what's aware of consciousness? Awareness. Whose is that? Mine or yours? It's, guess what? You never will. You, the you, the, the, the I, it's never going to get there. The am will, because that's what the am is. So it still feels, just to... Go ahead, please. It still feels like two things. It feels like higher self in here mm -hmm. and kind of collective mm -hmm. out there, collective consciousness. And maybe the higher self can tap into that. Uh-huh. But the higher self still feels very personal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. The way you're describing it, if we're going to go semantically, the way you're describing okay. it is you're describing ego at its best. Okay. Okay? Okay. Now, what's aware of that? Freedom. Total freedom. So that which is aware of everything personal, that which is aware of your highest self, that which is aware... Okay. You can't escape it. It's always already there. And it is the key to every single thing we're talking about. It's aware of your thoughts. Whatever thought you might have, it's the thing that can go back and go, mm-hmm, without any judgment, without any evaluation. If there is any judgment or evaluation, that's ego trying to come through the back door and say, I got it. I can play this role, but it's still on the stage. <laughs> I'll keep practicing. You keep practicing? Yeah. Uh, yes? I'm trying, 
I'm trying to understand. I may as well just, just say it flat as out. Right. Um, <laughs> and see if I can say the words. Uh, we have our small self. Because uh -huh. right, you know, we're all running around. We don't have it, it's there. Thank you. Okay. It exists. Mm -hmm. And stillness is always there. Mm -hmm. And when this ego body, material body dies, it's my sense, it's my ego sense. Mm -hmm. Your ego sense. <laughs> that the big self is out there someplace and it's just going to do whatever it's going to do and I'm not going to worry about what that big self is doing. Right, you can't because the big self is doing it. Because it's just doing it. Right, the big self is here, it's you, okay? And it's got, like I was trying to describe earlier in a rather poor stretching of a metaphor, the small self is an organ to that big self body, except it, I should maybe say it's a, it's, it's a proton in that big self body. <laughs> I used the arm, yes, I did. Uh, the big self is what's always already here. We could equate very easily stillness, awareness, okay, emptiness, as being synonymous with each other, okay? We sit still so that we can empty. We have a felt sense of that emptiness and everything falls apart. But we've developed in the course of our practice an ability to be very comfortable with everything as it falls apart. And so we become very comfortable with this new skin and we are reborn. We bring that big self-awareness into this small self-activity, and the small self-activity begins to be something that's quite superfluous to this new center of gravity. <laughs> the ego says, that makes sense to me. The ego says, now there's understanding? Yes, that's Great. All right, now forget the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for coming. <laughs>